Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. On the Today Show the other day, they had the singer called Lady Gaga as their guest. It was not a choice I made to watch. I personally refuse to entertain people and events that bring shame and disappointment to me and to others around me. Situations and people, entertainers and events that I believe promote the seedier side of life that has a high propensity of leading people down the wrong pathways, of promoting less than desirable values or even ideas and purposes that are downright damaging to people. I avoid them. It was difficult for me to remove myself from the area, so I opened my iPad and began to focus on something else. As I tuned out, however, I did hear the hostess of the show ask Lady Gaga if she had had any disappointments in her life, if there were things she might like to do over again. Her response was actually interesting. She claimed to believe that everything happens for a purpose, so she was not aware of anything that she would like to change. I wondered what she really thought about that philosophy of life as I focused on my iPad. Everything happens for a purpose, she said. That implies that there is some intrinsic order to the universe, that there is some ultimate control that regulates or even orchestrates where we go, what we do, and how we behave as we walk down life's pathway. Surely she cannot believe that that is an impersonal, inanimate object, that the events of life, if they do have a purpose, come about purely by chance. These two are diametrically opposed to each other. If everything happens for a purpose, then there must be some big plan somewhere and someone or something with supreme intelligence who is pulling the strings so that these things lead to a desired outcome. You know what? I agree with that. I believe that there is a supreme intelligence that keeps the cosmos working in order, that initially brought it all into existence in the first place, and who has a plan for the ages and the power to ensure that his purposes are fulfilled. I never thought that I would find a point of agreement with Lady Gaga. Yeah. 
won't try to fool myself that Lady Gaga has a similar interpretation of her expressed philosophy of life. Far from it, I'm sure. But while I am not an expert on Lady Gaga or her claim to fame, I do understand that much of her notoriety comes from her willingness to be extreme, to go beyond the envelope, to shock her audiences by her ability to shed the usual societal norms from nudity to the bizarre costumes and stage theatrics that have become her calling card to fame. In her own statement, everything has a purpose. What she might not fully comprehend is that that purpose is the plan of an almighty God for this world and its inhabitants. Every one of those inhabitants, you and me included, will stand before the Creator one day give an account of our life. Some will be at the judgment seat of Christ before our Savior and Lord. Others will stand before the great judge of the universe at a place called the great white throne judgment where they will be judged for not having accepted God's offer of salvation through his Son. During these two judgments, which occur at different times in God's timetable, everyone receives a fair judgment from their Creator. Some will enter heaven, be with God forever. Others will be cast into hell with the devil and his angels, forever banished from God's presence. Lady Gaga must make a decision, as must we all. Yes, everything happens for a purpose. Make sure you figure it out while God gives you time. In Christ alone my hope is found, He is my life, my strength, my song, this cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm, what heights of love, what depths of peace, when My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ, and Christ alone, my hope is found. In Christ alone, my hope is found. In Christ alone, Christ in me, from life's first 
to final breath. Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no steel of hell can ever blow me from his hands till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I'll stand. Here in the power of Christ I'll stand. Here in the power of Christ I'll stand. And now with his message for today, here is Senior Pastor Emeritus Alan Lee. Greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ once again. It is a joy to be able to share the Word of God with you today. Several weeks ago, on Mother's Day to be exact, I started a series of messages entitled Marriage, Its Divine Purpose and Devilish Perversion with a subtitle, The Biblical Principles for Building a Christian Family. I will conclude this series today with a message focusing on the concept of the wife's submission to her husband, a controversial issue to say the least. However, if you recall, I spoke on the meaning of the headship of the Christian husband in my previous message. So, we're trying to be fair and balanced. Of course, as we demonstrated when we looked at the devilish perversions imposed upon the marriage relationship due to the sin of the first couple, a major perversion was the conflict that came about as a result of the woman's judgment as given in Genesis 3.16. God, speaking directly to Eve, says, and I quote now, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children. Notice now, yet your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. That's Genesis 3.16. It is the devilish perversion of marriage that resulted from this aspect of Eve's judgment that relates specifically to the headship of the husband and the submission of the wife, especially in a Christian marriage. As Christians, and these messages on the family are directed primarily to the Christian, but to the Christian, there is an important spiritual fact that we must remember and apply if we are going to please God in our lives and find true spiritual and personal fulfillment in our marriage. And it is this. We are different people than what we were before we became Christians. Let me repeat that. We are different people than what we were before we became Christians. We are new creations in Christ. Therefore, his redemptive work has freed us from the consequences of the fall. But we must consciously, deliberately, and intentionally apply them to our marriage on a daily, ongoing basis. My friends, as believers, we have everything that is required to enable us to overcome the consequences of sin and the fall in our marriage life. Not only, as I say, and I repeat, as they relate to our business and ministry, but also and specifically to our marriage, our homes, our wives, our husbands, our children, and believe it or not, even our in-laws. Listen to these divinely inspired words by the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians. 
Reading chapter 4, verse 1, I quote now the word of God. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Now, verse 17, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk or you live no longer as the unsaved walk in the futility of their mind being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their heart. End of quote. I say again, as believers, we can fulfill God's purpose for us in marriage. We must do so, in fact. That's how we demonstrate the fact that we have been redeemed. Now, two major characteristics of Jesus Christ are to be manifested in a marriage relationship. First is a sacrificial love on the part of the husband as head of the family and head of the wife. And secondly, a voluntary submission by the wife as his companion helper. Christ is the model for both husband and wife in this regard. Now we have already seen that the husband as the divinely appointed head of his wife, is to love her sacrificially, serve her unselfishly, provide for her sufficiently, sustain her emotionally, and equip her spiritually. He is to lead by serving his mate, not subjugating or domineering her. That, my friend, is the Christian difference in marriage as far as the husband is concerned. But now, let's look at the Christian difference as far as the wife is concerned. Is her role a subservient one, as many seem to imply or think? Or is it that of an equal but respondent partner to her husband? Is her role a subservient one, or is it of an equal but respondent partner? First, let's properly and accurately understand the biblical concept of submission. There are three major aspects that must be considered. First, the basic meaning of the word has a military aspect to it. It means to place or arrange under, to assign to, or to place in the shelter of. In other words, the basic meaning is to be placed under the command or direction of a leader. But secondly, there is what may be called an assertive or forced aspect. This is the active use of the verb. Here, in this case, the power to subjugate is attributed to God alone and is used in this way in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 24 to 28, Romans 8.20, Philippians 3.21, Ephesians 1, verses 21 and 22. This is the only place in the Bible where this term is used, or the places I should say, and it is used only in connection to God himself. Unfortunately, this is the position men took toward women as a result of the fall, this assertive or force aspect. In other words, it's a working out of the consequences of the fall. This is the essence of the phrase, He shall rule over you in Genesis 3.16. It came about as a result of God's judgment and the sin of the first couple. 
But thirdly, when it comes to the meaning of this word in the scripture, there is a voluntary aspect. This is where the middle or passive use of the verb is used. And it is only so used with reference to the subordination or submission of Christ to God, as in 1 Corinthians 15.28, to all believers to one another, as in Ephesians 5.21, to wives to husbands, as in Ephesians 5.22 and Colossians 3.18, also to children to parents, as in Ephesians 6.1. And then is also used in relationship as Christian slaves to masters, as in Titus 2.9. Now it is important to understand that this word is never used, never used with reference to the unsaved in the Bible. Notably, it is a kind of submission exercise within the Godhead also. It is a voluntary submission of equals to one another in order that all might be profited from that attitude because of that relationship. Here, in this case, submission is seen as an inner attitude with obedience as expected outward action. In other words, it is a voluntary response of the heart and will, rather than a forced or suppressive servitude that is demonstrated. Now, it is not that obedience shows submission, but that submission generates or produces obedience. Because, you see, one could be obedient outwardly, but not submissive inwardly or in attitude. And conversely, one can be submissively inwardly, but disobedient outwardly. Now that takes explaining, but we cannot do it at this time, unfortunately. So, a biblical definition of wifely submission could be stated in this fashion. It is an inward consent to glorify God through a willing submission to a husband whom God has divinely designated as a head. Submission is only biblical, my friends, when it is done voluntarily. That is, not grudgingly or by force of the husband. When a husband forces a wife to be submissive, that turns it into subjugation, not submission. A mark of a husband still living under the consequences of the fall is a man who forces his wife to be submissive. He's living under the consequences of the fall still, rather than in the power of a redeemed believer who has applied the result of Christ's death and resurrection to his marriage relationship. I say again, forced submission is subjugation. That is not the kind of submission that God speaks about in his word. The husband will answer for this if he does it incorrectly. However, grudging or hostile submission is legalistic and hypocritical. The wife will have to answer to this. But now let's look specifically at submission as it relates to the Christian wife as taught in Ephesians 5 especially. First, the context of the admonition is clearly stated in verse 18. Be filled with the Spirit. In other words, wifely submission to a husband is an evidence of being filled with the Spirit or walking in the Spirit. It is a spiritual act of the highest order. Second, submission is to be done in the light of the fear of Christ. Ephesians 5.21 says, 
Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, there are two aspects of living in the fear of Christ. First, there is a present aspect in which we show reverence for Christ through obedience to his word on a daily basis. Second, there is a future aspect in which we live in anticipation of the judgment seat of Christ. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.11, Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your conscience. The godly wife always lives with this anticipation, so her submission to her husband is done with reverence toward God, first of all with an aspect, with an idea, an anticipation of having to give an account of her relationship to her husband. But thirdly, this submission is to be done in response to the evidence of sacrificial love on the part of the husband. The husband is commanded to love his wife even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, for her. And as the Christian husband does this, imitates Christ in his love, the wife responds with submission. But fourthly, the Apostle Peter also teaches that the wife is to be submissive to her husband even when there is no love shown. I call this a hard saying because it is, but it is a biblical directive nonetheless. Here are Peter's words in spite of God in First Peter 3. I read from verse 1. In the same way, now that goes back to how Christ lived in obedience to the Father, although it was difficult. In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lies will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They trusted God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. End of quote. Now I repeat, Jesus is given as a model and example of this attitude in the previous chapter. So when wives do it, in other words, when they are submissive to their heads, their husbands, they are showing reverence for Jesus Christ, and they are also imitating Christ in their life. Notice the passage teaches that the wife is to demonstrate submission to her husband in several ways. First, by minimizing her words and maximizing her ways. Second, by minimizing her outward beauty and maximizing her inner beauty. So in conclusion, we can say that the submission of a Christian wife to a husband relates to a divinely given role, not to nature or ability. In other words, as in the Godhead itself, there is submission without inferiority, so it is in the husband-wife relationship. 
Therefore, we can say with biblical authority, the most godly thing a wife can do is to be submissive to her husband, because in so doing, she shows what God is like in the essence of his being. As always, this is Senior Pastor Emeritus Alan Lee saying, Selah, think and act on these things. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. Therefore evermore to stay. The great command is promised, he will surely come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground and our toiling will be happen in a moment, Jesus Christ could come again, I am listening every moment, for the mighty trumpet sound, what a time we'll have together, when the saints shall leave the ground, and our toiling will be in a moment Jesus Christ could come again